0: Now entering Nerdist.com It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel
1: Ben Blacker talking writing with writers Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting but talk can be enlightening it's very rarely frightening Ben Blacker talking writing with we are here uh, for a special one-on-one interview with Vince Gilligan, and uh, thank you for opening your offices. It's nice to see where the meth is made. Our, our
0: gorgeous, uh, <laughs> uh, well-appointed offices, yes, here in Burbank. You're, you're, uh, you're very welcome. We're
1: glad you're here. You guys are on the sticks here a little bit.
0: We're a little bit. I, I, <laughs> I like Burbank. I like I like uh, the neighborhood here. It's a good walking neighborhood. It's a good place uh, uh, during lunch breaks and whatnot, to just take a walk, you can walk in every direction, and uh, and there's a lot of interesting, uh, you know, life to to see.
1: Oh, that's good. So, and you you don't let your riders walk around, right?
0: I, well, I, I keep them chained in the room. That's but, right yeah, so I, but yeah, occasionally I'll take a walk.
1: Because so. you you took issue with them getting up to go to the bathroom without asking. <laughs>
0: yeah, damn it. Yeah, that's right. When I say they jump, they need to say how high. Exactly. And, no, they. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty loose here, as you as you can tell by the. Uh, it's it's just as well this is not a video podcast because this this place really is a dump as you can Aww. see.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Um, so where are you guys right now? You're we were just saying you're gearing up to uh, start production. How soon?
0: We start production at the uh, at the uh, end of uh, March, and uh, well, here we are at the end of February. So I'm I'm kind of freaking out uh because it's getting closer by the second and it's going very quickly uh but you guys had a good lead time we had a wonderful lead time and i am not complaining about the lead time i'm only complaining about my lack of uh actually we are working hard i was going to say our our lack of uh you know it's interesting we've been doing this since november mid-november and we with that amount of lead time you'd think we'd fart around a lot and and we don't really Mm -hmm. we really don't because i'm too scared to. Uh yeah. we don't waste a lot of time in the writers room. We actually I mean everyone messes around some, but we we spend the bulk of the day actually working, but still, you know, you, you, it's we've been so lucky with the uh, response to this show that that you want you want to top what you've done before and and therefore uh, I, I find myself uh, uh, second guessing and triple guessing and quadruple hmm. guessing everything we come up with. and therefore uh, breaking the episodes has taken a little longer than historically it has. Historically we, we take about two weeks uh, 2 you know five day work, work week. Per episode, per episode to, per episode to wow, break the episode, that's a lot. it 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 uh, it has yeah. It's always been a lot, and now it's now it's <laughs> increasing. So <laughs> it's like three. The last one we just broke up, finished breaking episode three, and I think that took like four weeks. We really stuck on no that kidding. one for a while.
1: What what kind of things? Because I, I, I want to talk about okay. this for a sec. What kind of things do you get stuck on, and how does that you know not just the response from outside of here, but you know what you guys have done before? How does that inform? Oh, the it, difficulty in breaking the current season.
0: It informs greatly. Well, uh, gosh, so many ways to answer that. First off, uh, you don't want to do what you've done before. You want to, you want to, you want to show uh, the audience always. And it, it, this, I would imagine this goes for any show or any movie. You want to show the audience as as much as you humanly can. Uh, and there are of course limits to how many things we have not seen as mm-hmm. as, as adults, you know. But you want to show the audience things they haven't quite seen before. Mm and and with a with a long running tv this is not a long running tv show compared to most tv shows but but you know we've got a good history we've had a we've had a longer run than everyone thought we had and have and <laughs> have done 46 episodes up till now wow. uh which surprises me when i think of that number yeah. uh we find ourselves saying well what if we do this well we kind of did that back in uh, season two and episode eight hmm. Uh we kind of did that back in season one and are you talking six. about
1: story turns or sort know, little moments scenes, yeah
0: yeah little moments of i'm trying to give a good example uh well, I can't really because it's stuff that we. Well, let me think. I'm trying to think of a good example. <laughs> but basically, if uh, something that 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 rings a bell, that feels reminiscent, mm-hmm. uh, too closely reminiscent of a scene we've seen before. If
1: uh,
0: I'm trying to shoot, can't think of a good example. Well, I but
1: think a lot of shows go through this. I mean, obviously, yeah. you don't want to repeat yourself. Yeah, you want to show something new. I, um, I, I
0: can't imagine what it's like on The Simpsons, which is a yeah. great show. I can't imagine Absolutely. 500 episodes. How do you? There must be I would think they must have a full-time historian who just who <laughs> says oh you know we did that or if they could hire a bunch of college kids do exactly. cross cross <laughs> collateral uh, cross you know some data what do would you call it uh, some database for yeah, cross referenced. reference yeah yeah right <laughs> where it's like yeah we did that back uh, we did that back in the uh, you know 1957 we right did that, <laughs> you know but it's it, that's an amazing show it's amazing it's, yeah we yeah. had
1: Dana Gould on the podcast recently who said he came in on like uh, season 13 wow and he said every pitch he had was well, yeah, we did that. Season oh, yeah. three. Season four, which Ben and I had the same thing on Supernatural. We came in on se- season seven. and wow. Yeah, yeah, season three. Season wow.
0: three. <laughs> so Dana Gould's a good guy. I met him. I met Absolutely. him once. He- did you see that uh, Greg Nicotero made a sh- uh, uh The genius uh, behind all the zombies mm-hmm. in The Walking Dead, he- uh, Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger. Uh, Greg made a uh, short film called United Monster Talent Agency, in which yes. Dana Gould plays the Wolfman, and they did the old Wolfman transformation. on Yes, it. It it's on really Dana's great. website.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, great, great. great job. <laughs>
0: yeah, it is. It's amazing.
1: Um, so I wonder, you know, following up on, on what we were just talking about, but the um, there's been an increasing intensity on breaking bad and is that part of the finding new things to show the audience i mean clearly it's part of walt's journey as well
0: it's it's uh, it, it it was sort of the self-imposed mandate from from the get go that that uh, walt uh you know go from being a protagonist to an antagonist mm-hmm. that he go from mr Ships to scarface I, i've 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 mm-hmm. I've ridden that particular analogy into the into the ground. I <laughs> it so often, but but, but, that, but that but that really it's good to have that analogy in your head when you're creating a show or, or a movie or whatever. And and it's good in, in the sense of not so much the analogy itself, but to have the, the battle plan. Mm-hmm. And and we've abided by it for for good or for bad for four seasons. And 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 I guess it stands to reason that um, uh, when a guy decides willfully decides to become a criminal. It, Things are going to get darker and more intense, and yeah. and therefore the you know it's not so much a mandate that it get more and more intense as the seasons progress. It just seems a natural evolution, and and uh, and keeping that increase in that geometric I don't know if it's the right word, but that <laughs> to keep that rising intensity mm-hmm. to have it continue to rise as the seasons pr- progress does become harder and takes longer to sort of figure these things out mm-hmm. and, and and you also want to parcel things out so you don't do too much too soon so you don't you don't uh, uh the the unfortunate expression is shoot your wad too soon but i mean <laughs> i it's sorry to be crude but i can't think of a better way to put it in, in the sense of uh you you don't want to you don't want your best stuff early on in a movie you don't want your best stuff early on in a tv season you don't want your best stuff in season one of a six-year-long show.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that for a second because it's something I'm actually experiencing right now and going out to pitch some shows, and they're highly serialized shows. Um, You know, when you sat down to start planning what this show would be, you didn't know how many episodes you'd have. Uh, You didn't know how many seasons you'd have, obviously. Nobody knows. Um, You had a master plan, that is, to take Walt from good guy to bad guy. Um, but how did you go about, you know, doling out the pace of this? How did did you have tent poles? Did you have some notion of uh, where he would be at the at certain times?
0: I did, and they were mostly wrong. Really? Uh, I, I have to say, luck has played such a large part in the in the evolution of the life of this show. Uh, the, the, this is going to sound so perverse, but the luckiest thing. Aside from uh, Sony and then AMC saying yes to our show in the first place, the other luckiest thing that that got us to where we are – well, there's a lot of lucky things. Brian Cranston <laughs> was a lucky thing. But, sure. but uh, a, a huge stroke of good fortune for the show, not for the industry at large, not for the Writers Guild necessarily, but for us was the writer strike in oh, 2007. It really uh, – helped us out because uh, it happened at the tail end of our first season we had nine episodes ordered for that first season that was the pilot plus eight Mm -hmm. and sometime around episode uh, six the writer strike happened and uh i was i had been spending all my time in albuquerque i had been neglecting my writer's room here in burbank Mm. and my i think at the time i had four writers uh, my four writers, I'd left them alone for for days and weeks on end, and I didn't even check in with them by phone that often. And it was it was it was oh, wow. I, it was a, it was a, a growing pains uh, of me growing into doing this job. Uh, I was not uh, I, I I got really lucky is the best way to put it because we had two episodes left in our first order, and we didn't. I I was so busy picking. You know props and oh I want to, I want mm-hmm. Marie to wear this hat instead mm-hmm. of that well whatever you know I was yeah. so busy picking locations and 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 watching takes on the set and sure. and and doing all the fun stuff that I was neglecting the meat and potatoes important stuff which is i mean the most important thing uh, it would seem to me a showrunner can do is make sure the the stories are coming out right and then you you know you hire great directors great actors great crew people great producers to to make sure right. that that what you you and your writers conceive of gets executed properly and i was so were
1: these writers left with a map did they have something to hold on to i i I did
0: not do that good a job i was they i was they were left with very little and they persevered uh marvelously but but every now and then i would say oh wait i have a writer's room there are other episodes other than the one we're shooting now Hmm. i better check in with them what do you got and they pitch something and i'd i'd kind of secretly thank I'd kind of say oh, yeah, that's interesting, but I would secretly think, "Oh God, we're we're screwed. We're screwed. Oh Jesus, you know." But that's wow. my own fault because I was not sure. I was not spending time with them, and it suddenly dawned on me we don't we we don't have we don't have an idea for the next episode, let alone the one after that. And it preps. This was like on a Thursday, and it preps next Tuesday or Wednesday or something. It was just really, I I, I really dropped the ball uh and the other so i got lucky because the strike was called it was like you know midnight on whatever night you know no more writing so i was like (laughs) oh thank god you know (laughs) the other reason i got lucky was because if if we would have come up with something and i was ready to throw the kitchen sink uh, this is my long-winded way of answering the 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 nut of your question was how do you parcel out Mm -hmm. those tentpole moments on those high points and i was the show had not been on the air yet. We were shooting all this air, editing, writing it, shooting it, editing it in a vacuum. The, the show was not going to air for, for quite a while, uh, you know, after this process. And I was nervous, as I always am, and I was lacking confidence, as I always do. And I was ready to throw the kitchen sink into the end of our season. I was ready to wow. uh, I was ready to kill off Gomez. I was ready to you know, have uh, a terrible gun battle that all kinds of terrible things were going to happen. I was ready to do all kinds of things. <laughs> Uh, and just wreak havoc and, and 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 lay waste and scorch the earth and salt it <laughs> afterward and and if and we had had have... a season two after that, it would have been like, "Now what the hell do we do yeah. we 've done everything uh, <laughs> you know now what do we do and luckily, uh, you know the silver lining of the strike was was that it 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 saved me from my own uh, worst impulses. Uh even more importantly than than it um uh, gave me a you know a reprieve from the fact that I had two scripts due or we, I should say we, mm-hmm. our writers had two final scripts due. Mm-hmm. So, so we ended that season with an episode that was not intended to be a cliffhanger a season ender. And yet nonetheless we always strive to have every episode end with a reason uh to tune in next week. Mm-hmm. So so luckily it worked out okay.
1: <laughs> so let me ask too, you know, when when we talk about this pre-planning this planning stage um you knew what the arc for walt would be um but did you know who this guy was you know there the personality the things that make him tick you know i'm curious about creating these characters uh from whole cloth and and then peopling the world with these other characters uh was there a challenge there or did you know i just have to make him the nicest guy uh how did you go about you know creating it, it,
0: these characters? You know what? It's it's the wonderful thing about television and and why it's been one of the many reasons it's been so enjoyable for me versus versus movies. Uh um movies are great too, but they're apples and oranges. It's mm-hmm. like comparing uh, it's funny. It's it's so much of the same tools. You you're using the same screenplay format, you're using the same storytelling tools and yet the difference between two hours of story and 100 hours of story, plus or minus, yeah. is is like comparing a sonnet to a limerick or I don't know what. <laughs> I don't, comparing a uh, – I don't know what. Uh, but and, – and not that one is better than the other. It's just comparing an apple to an orange. Sure, It's a very different thing. And, and the wonderful thing, the f- thing I love about television is – it's like a living breathing thing that that continues on when you you have to commit in a movie you have to commit to the arc of the story you're telling Mm -hmm. that hour and a half worth of story that two hours worth uh and that itself is a challenge and a great one and and of course i i I love movies uh but in my own life it's much more satisfying to work with a group of people versus be by myself in a in my lonely office trying to write one movie, you know, but instead be in a writer's room for television and, and create this living, breathing thing. And by that I mean everything Walter White is now, uh, four years in, or three years in, or two years in, if you go backward throughout the course of the show. And and this probably is true for a lot of TV shows, most of them. I would think all of them, dare I say, but I'll only speak for, for hours, is that, uh, you know, I did not have... All the, all the filigree of this character in my head when we started. And far from it. I had the basic idea of a guy who goes from good to bad, and that was about it. Hmm. And and so much of the rest of it was a group invention, and so much of it was 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 aided uh, and created by the actor who plays the character. So there would the Walter White you see now would not exist if it weren't for Bryan Cranston. Uh, that, that sounds like an obvious statement, but in a way. It's not I mean obviously he's the he's the actual actor who physically plays the part, but so much of his personality rubs off on on my writers and myself because we know him so well and, and certain mannerisms, certain truths, certain physicalities, certain things about him wind up in the writing because we they rub off on us. And and the same goes for all the other characters, Jesse and, and, and and Skyler and Hank and Marie and Jr. And, and, and also our understanding deepens and, and richens and grows. My writers and I, uh, our understanding of these characters increases uh, as the years progress. Mm-hmm. And that's just something you, you don't get in movies, uh, and and that's why it's so much more satisfying to really. I have understandings these characters, and it was the same with Mulder and Scully, and I didn't even create them, mm-hmm. but but I was seven years on on the X Files, and great job, what a great job that was. And I, you know, you could you could dream about these characters, you could hear them talk in your head. There were certain times on X Files I remember it just felt like I was, uh, uh, I was just a stenographer. Taking mm-hmm. dictation. I was just, you know, yeah. type. out, hear their voices in my head. I, their actual voices. Uh, I'm just
1: transcribing. Yeah, I'm yeah, just
0: transcribing. Absolutely. And uh, I wish it always was like that. A lot of times writing, <laughs> most of the time, as, as everyone, the writer's listening, no, it's most of the time it's like banging your head against the pavement, but, you know, <laughs> trying to get it done. But every now and then a big part of what makes it all worthwhile is when you're just transcribing and yeah. you're not writing. And it's easier tr- to transcribe, I find, myself in my own life writing for television than for movies because I have just had so much more time with these characters, years more on
1: TV than in any movie script I've ever written. Sure, you've gotten to live with them. Exactly. Um, But I'm curious about and and I apologize, I'm sure this is well trod territory, but did you did you have to pitch Breaking Bad? Did you write the script beforehand and then oh, no, hand it's a, it in? You did pitch it?
0: Good question. Uh um, it, it was a it was a I'll try to give the highlights of it. It was it was an interesting experience. I, I had a pre existing relationship with uh, with the two guys who run Sony television, Zach mm-hmm. Van Amberg and Jamie Ehrlich, and I had this crazy idea that mm-hmm kind of i couldn't shake this idea that became breaking bad and and they had they had sort of had an open door policy with me we had had an ill-fated cbs pilot but uh that never went anywhere but they said hey come to us with any ideas so i pitched them this idea mm-hmm. and they looked kind of stricken <laughs> they went to their boss though uh a guy named michael linton who i've met recently i didn't meet him for for years after this but he told me and i i give him credit he's a, he's an honest guy he's uh i liked him a lot he uh when i finally met him he said I- i'm gonna be honest with you the two guys uh who worked for me pitched me your tv show idea back in 2007 2006 maybe and i and i said to them and i quote that is the single worst idea for a tv show i've ever heard <laughs> But I hired you guys, and you know, fail or succeed, you know, you know, it's it's up to you. Go ahead and do it if you really if you really believe in it. And wow. they did. So what happened essentially, in a nutshell, was Sony was interested. They wanted to find a partner. Uh, they helped uh, they helped us ultimately wind up with AMC. There were a few uh, twists mm-hmm. in the road before that, but but basically, once they found us a broadcast outlet. Um, uh they basically paid me Sony paid me to oh. to write to write the pilot and I wrote it uh and then it was a matter of will the network order it and blah 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 but mm-hmm. uh but yeah I didn't I did not write it on uh, I did not write it on spec mm-hmm. uh, in this case and not that I wouldn't have I would have no matter what most likely but uh luckily <laughs> uh Sony w- was showed a very early interest uh which still has me scratching my head but mm-hmm. but makes me feel very lucky. <laughs> so uh yeah. So I, I wrote it. It was not a spec thing. I wrote it for 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 uh you know, for pay. Yeah. yeah.
1: And and I guess you're you're lucky in that you had that existing relationship, that you didn't have to go in and yeah. you know, I think writers were always attracted to these complex characters who have maybe this this dark side to them yeah. and you know, we we know this journey and all uh many times all the executive wants to hear is why do we like this person? Yeah, yeah, that's great. But why do we like this person? Yeah. Oh, you know? So you, you yeah. seem to have bypassed that.
0: Well, and nice. I don't know how. I wish I had the magic. Yeah. I wish I could tell everyone listening the magic formula for bypassing all the bullshit that, <laughs> that, we, that we typically hear. And all I can say is I've heard all those same yeah. questions myself on other pitches. This is the one that snuck through the cracks. I wish I could tell you the magic secret <laughs> for it. But it just it'd be the same as saying i got the magic secret for knowing the exact moment to pull the lever on the slot machine you know there is no magic moment you know mm-hmm. you either get lucky or you don't you just keep swinging but yeah no i've had all those conversations i, I tend to have them more in the movie business than in the tv business uh, oh, really? the, the 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 questions of well not so much necessarily a question of is this character likable mm-hmm. enough but but you know you're dealing with a lot of smart executives in the movie business and the TV business. The trouble is, you know, everyone says executives are a bunch of dummies. And, and, and they're certainly not. They're actually some of the smarter people that I've met. The problem, it seems to me, is that they don't trust their own judgment. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't either probably if I did their job because I'd always feel the axe sure. hanging over my head. Uh, but the, the thing you hear a lot in these meetings, uh, especially movie meetings where they have more time to fiddle, is uh, you know I get I get what you're going for here, but I'm not sure the audience will. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should. I'm not saying let's dumb it down, <laughs> but blah 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 yeah. blah. They here they speak for three language. minutes and basically in <laughs> and, and, and so many words are saying dumb it down. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, it just uh, makes you want to makes you want to go do something else, you know, yeah. dig ditches. I don't know what, you know, work out in the sunshine, do some fucking thing, you know, just, something simple, yeah, just like going you know, to do something where I just, they're not chipping away at the, you know, cutting little pieces off you know, day in and day out for, you know, years on end.
1: So. Well, it's very hard. I mean, from that aspect and then just because of the collaborative nature of television and film to get that thing that's in your head on the screen, whether it is, you know, the small screen or the big screen, uh, Have you accomplished that? How are you doing that with Breaking Bad? Have you been able to do that? Did you do that in the seven years on the X-Files? To to, to put my own... Yeah, the story in your head, was it represented by what we saw on the screen? Are you happy with those?
0: I am very fortunate to say yes, in the TV side of my career. That's great. uh, uh, X-Files was a wonderful job. Chris Carter, the creator of that show, and my boss for seven years was a great uh, mentor and a great boss, and I learned I learned everything I know about TV producing and writing from him. It's held me in good stead on Breaking Bad. And he, once you proved yourself to him on that job, uh, if you didn't prove yourself, you were... <laughs> you know, you were out the door. Right. But uh, if you did prove yourself, and, and, and I, I, I was not a rocket scientist or anything. I just I came to the show as a fan and therefore had, I think, a bit of a leg up. Mm-hmm. Because you came I, in in what season? Three? I came in in season – I wrote an episode, a uh, freelance episode, the end of season two, and okay. then I came on board. I moved – physically moved to – I wrote that – freelance from virginia but i moved physically to california Mm -hmm. in uh mid-season three and was on until the bitter end (laughs) and uh um but i I had a leg up because i was a fan so i seemed to, to get the show and but i didn't know that i would when i got there i thought i would i would not be long for that world but luckily it worked out but when you proved yourself to him he let you you know like, you know, I had a crazy idea one year. Actually, a couple of years. I, I, this one took a while for me to convince him. But I said, <laughs> I want to do an X-Files crossover with the TV show Cops. And he sure. said, yeah. Uh, and I don't blame him because I would have said the same damn thing now if someone said that to me, one of my Breaking right. Bad writers. But so he was he was open to the idea. How early,
1: how early were you there when you started pitching that? <laughs> that
0: was uh, – I – I let me see
1: when was because it that? turned out to be a great episode. That oh, came thank you. Much later. Well, that was in the LA days,
0: so that was probably season six or season seven. Mm-hmm. And I got there season three. It took me until when did I write my first funny episode? The the thing about the X Files was it was it was it was such a malleable, and I say that as the highest compliment. Yeah. It was such a malleable. Form uh, or, or structure for stories brilliantly. Uh, so I mean, I, I, I don't know if yeah. the
1: conception was that, but
0: I don't know if it was, was so much room
1: to play there.
0: There was, uh, and as a fan, I noticed. You know, there. I think the first funny episode, Morgan and Wong, uh, uh, Glenn Morgan and Jim Wong, uh, two writers uh, from the very beginning of the show. I think snuck. This is me being the X Files historian. This was before <laughs> I was even there, but I think they snuck the first humor. Mm -hmm. into the scripts but the first out and out comedic episode was an episode called Humbug written by Mm -hmm. Darren Morgan and that was the first time I think everybody involved with the show realized that the show could handle comedy I mean out and out comedy Uh, and that was a great episode and Darren Morgan was was a brilliant writer who uh, wrote these comedic episodes? And when I got there, I was jealous. I, I remained jealous of him because he's a brilliant writer. But I was jealous of 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 him being able to write the comedic ones. And so I lobbied to write one too. Uh, and I finally, you know, got to do that after about a year or so. But uh, then I was lobbying to do this. Uh, I lobbied for a lot of crazy shit. You know, <laughs> a lot of it. To, I lobbied to actually let Chris Carter let me jump off the Queen Mary. Oh, we, he did an episode called Triangle. Where he shot it on the Queen Mary. It was like the movie Rope, the yeah, one I uninterrupted it was so take. Neat. Great episode. And they shot it on the Queen Mary down in Long Beach. And Cliff Bowl, a guy I'd worked with uh, who directed Bad Blood and he directed uh, uh, Small Potatoes and a bunch of ep- great uh, great director, directed hundreds of hours of TV, but he used to be a stuntman. And he told me one time uh, for the Six Million Dollar Man TV show, he jumped off the Queen Mary, and it's like sixty or seventy oh, wow. feet, you know, into the Long Beach, into that oily crud they got that thing sitting <laughs> in. You know, that's that's a part to probably kill you. Yeah. But uh, he said, I jumped. I, I was on the Six Million Dollar Man. I jumped off the Queen Mary, and I said, right on, man, I want to do that too someday. And then they're shooting, you know, they're shooting on the. Uh, because uh, back home in Virginia, I've jumped off cliffs that were almost that high. I think into the James River or whatever. But uh, I'm not I'm not a stuntman, by the way. I'm just I'm a nerd writer. <laughs> I'm wearing my pocket protector full of pencils right now as we speak. But but you know I'm not that scared of heights. So that was one thing. You know I thought I could do. So when Chris was directing this episode, I, and at the end of the episode, uh, Duchovny, uh Agent Mulder jumps off to the ship he's on. And I said, "Look, I'm about the same height. Where, you know, we put a black wig on me. You know, let me jump off. Um, let me jump off Queen Mary." He's like, "Are you out of your fucking mind? You have to write episodes for me." Yeah. And he never let you me. You can't get
1: lead poisoning.
0: <laughs> he didn't let me do it. But uh, I think I would have done it. I, I think I would have because at that point, with 200 crew people watching you, even if you're more, even if you're, you know, like petrified Absolutely. with fear, you just, at a certain point. The fear of actually, weirdly, as we all know, the fear of 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 humiliation in front of your peers is worse than the fear of death at a certain point. So I think I would have gone through with it, but uh, they they probably wouldn't have wanted Mulder to to flail and scream right. scream like a baby for the whole sixty feet into the ocean, you know. So it probably just as well they had a real stuntman. What was my point? That's I digress.
1: Lying. That's right. We'll take the digressions. <laughs> but uh it
0: was a great show, and I learned a lot, and. uh there was a point to all of that. And I well, I wanted to remember. ask
1: as long as we're on the subject, about the – you know, looking at the episodes that you did on X-Files. and uh-huh. There were a lot of them. and um, You know, you, they seem to fall into these different camps of the comedy episodes and the real kind of monstery bad guy with no uh, sympathy episodes. But then also these episodes where – and I think we talked about this a little bit on the panel. You have these very sympathetic monsters or bad guys yeah. where – these guys are really given a point of view.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I want to talk about the comedy for a second. Sure. Um, obviously, you're interested uh, in comedy. Yeah. I, I don't think that anyone would look at Breaking Bad and say, that's a funny show. But it has <laughs> some of the best laughs oh, uh, that there are. And, again, it's because of the strong characters. It's because of the world you guys have built. Um, was there an early interest in comedy
0: I was a comedy uh, – self-described, I suppose. I was a comedy writer when I first started. I was I was very fortunate very quickly out of NYU film school mm-hmm. to, to sell my first script uh, because of a couple of reasons. I, I had a wonderful writing professor at NYU named Jesse Cornbluth, who uh, was a writer at the time for Vanity Fair and uh, uh, big writer for a lot of magazines and and has written a lot of books and and screenplays himself and he taught a screenwriting class and luckily enough this feature script uh, I wrote for his class called Home Fries. Mm -hmm. Uh, He sent along to the woman who became my first agent, Rhonda Gomez Mm -hmm. and but back then, I'm digressing again. I'm sure I'm doing again. Away. But um, you're the one on the
1: schedule. <laughs> Katie and I have hours.
0: <laughs> well, my my point being that uh, those first scripts that I wrote, I naturally uh, was inclined to write comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love comedy. I still do.
1: What was the kind of stuff that you were into back then? What were some of those early influences?
0: Those early things, everyone said to me, they're really, everyone, uh, everyone commented, those early three or four feature scripts that I wrote were all about brothers. They said, you've hmm. got some brother fixation. It's always <laughs> about, it's an episode, the Home Fries is about two brothers Uh, who are sort of mama's boys who sleep in bunk beds at age, you know, 28 or whatever and live at home with their mom. And one wants to kill this woman who witnessed the murder that they pulled off, and the other's trying to save her because he was in love with her. And then I wrote something called Wilder Napalm, and it's about two brothers who are in love with the same woman. And, you know, it it was uh, some sort of running theme. Because I do have a brother uh, in, in, in real life, brother named Patrick, uh, who I love very much, and he, we cannot start fires with our minds, or <laughs> we haven 't killed anybody and <laughs> so far so so but so but so I those early comedies were uh themed, I suppose, mm. in hindsight, although not intentionally and uh and when I got the x files job, I remember being afraid that I would not be able to write drama because mm. I was such a comedy guy in my own estimation, right, and then I started writing drama and loved it they 're just they're they're different muscles in the same arm, I guess. Yeah, or how so?
1: Let's talk about that for a second because we've had the same experience. Sure. You know, having written comedy and then moving to drama. And it's one thing, uh, you know, the the people outside who say, can he make that switch? Sure, but sure. But you also have to ask it yourself. Absolutely. Uh, so what, what was the learning curve? Obviously, it was a strong room on X-Files. Oh, X-Files was – well,
0: the, the, the hardest learning curve – was learning to write for television and learning to hit those deadlines because hmm. I was the laziest of lazy writers. When I was <laughs> left to my own devices, really? I, I, I got very little done. At one time, I remember I, I took two and a half years to write a first draft <laughs> of uh, of, a, of a script, and and the guy I gave it to, the the uh, the TriStar executive guy mm-hmm. running the place at the time, was like, eh, that script you gave us, the thing we've been waiting for for two and a half years, we, we need to talk about that sometime. <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay. And he said, yeah. And then he walked out of the room oh, and I, that was twenty years ago. I literally have never seen him since. <laughs> <laughs> but, <God. laughs> he moved on to be a big Broadway producer, but but he was uh anyway, what's my point? My point is that uh uh the uh, uh, comedy the, and drama. The hardest the, hardest the hardest the TV. hardest change up was writing for T V, yeah. period, and hitting those deadlines yeah. and, and knowing what it was to work in a room. I had never worked I'd never collaborated sure. that closely with other writers before. That was the tricky part. Drama versus comedy, it's all at best, you know, off the top of my head, best thing I think to say is like I said, same different muscles in the same arm, mm-hmm. but it's 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 uh, it's drama and comedy are all kind of the same to me. I mean, in the sense that I like comedy, the comedy I like, the comedy I strive to write and uh, come up with is. Uh, simple, as uh, simply as uh, simply put as this, I suppose it's the stuff where the people doing the quote unquote comedy, the the characters are not aware they're being funny. Yeah. To me, that's sort of situational, not situational comedy. I guess that's where the word sitcom <laughs> derives from. But that going back to the root of the phrase situational comedy, the comedy itself, the context itself is the comedy, mm-hmm. and and people are not knocking off zingers and punchlines and whatnot. And it's 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 more they're not cracking wise and and being witty. Although I love those kind of movies, <laughs> I love the old screwball comedies of Howard Hawks and whatnot, where people are just hopelessly, marvelously well spoken mm-hmm. and, and quick witted. But I I love that kind of stuff. I've never really attempted it because I just some part of me, as much as I love watching those movies, some part of me just knows deep in my heart that those people don't really exist.
1: Sure. <laughs> well, even it's it's funny. I mean, even in in the the story that they're in, they don't really exist, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. because they are so witty. It's, yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of a remove, whereas yeah. you know, yeah. in these other in these things you're talking about, it's the comedy is as serious as the drama. You yeah. know, both worlds are being taken yeah. as seriously, and I think that's what sells either one. That's yeah. why they are sort of the same muscle. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. But uh,
0: drama and comedy, I mean, to me. I was about to say comedy is uh, harder than drama, and it, it perhaps is, but they're all kind of... Everything's hard. It's all hard, but it's... Uh, <laughs> the but work I, is hard. But I, yeah, exactly, <laughs> but I love them both, and we try to make Breaking Bad as funny as we can. We truly do, because um, I learned from watching uh, Chris Carter and, and the other guys uh, do the TV show Millennium, mm-hmm. which was a, I thought it was an excellent show, and I, I think it holds up. I've been watching it not too long ago on Mm -hmm. some channel I got some cable channel and I think it really holds up wonderfully but it was so except for a couple of Darren Morgan comedic (laughs) episodes it was so relentlessly bleak which it had to be it had to be true to what it was Uh, and what it was was a show about a guy uh, catching serial killers and and letting them into his head just enough so that he could catch them And, and the damage the psychic damage that wrought upon him you're telling that story it's got to be pretty dark but i remember thinking you know some of these episodes i want to slip my wrist after i watched them they were great but it's like my god you know and so i remember thinking when i started off with breaking bad i remember thinking specifically of millennium and thinking this is a show breaking bad is a show about a guy middle-aged dying of cancer cooking crystal meth it could make you want to slit your wrist, too, unless I leaven it with as much humor as I possibly can, although the humor has to always derive from the context and situations. And if people are trying to be funny, you don't want it to turn into the Hogan's Heroes right. of the meth world. Great show, by the way. I love Which, Hogan's yeah, Heroes. But it's uh, like, you know, God, those Nazis were funny. You know? I love those, I love those crazy heroes. bastards. You
1: know. The Hogan's Heroes of the meth world yeah. is a CBS sitcom. <laughs> coming <laughs> The <this> season. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. The the any levity has to come from not so much the the things these guys are doing, but the kind of people they are. I mean, yeah. they respond like real people yeah. to their situations, which is <laughs> and in you a have way. To,
0: exactly. I'm sorry to interrupt. And you yeah. have to uh, just a, a thought occurs. Uh, you have to with comedy like that. You have to be. I love the old Faulkner line. We quote it all the time. Sometimes you have to kill your darlings. Yeah. And sometimes there is a moment. There's a joke. There's a funny thing. That we could reach for, and we know it'd be mm-hmm. funny, but you got to be—you got—you can't be self-indulgent. You got to be tough, and you got to say no. This is not right. There, that would be. No one would say that at that point, or or, or as whatnot. As clever as it is, yeah. You, you sometimes you got to cut the really good stuff if you want to be true to what the fundamentals of the story are. Mm-hmm. The, the heart of the
1: story is. Yeah, this is something I was thinking of actually, as you were talking about having to push uh to extremes in what you what you show and what the characters do you know you must wonder it must be a constant conversation in the room about where that line is mm. and you know how far how far do we get to go what is in character what is out of character yeah
0: the the thing that helps in the room is that it's a safe room i try to make it as safe as possible and my other writers do too we don't uh we don't put each other down for we put each other down all the time but not <laughs> but never for our ideas right. We you know we never – I don't want anyone saying that's a stupid idea or, or challenging someone for their idea. You, you, we have a code, I guess. Well, that's an interesting idea. And everybody says, well, he hates it. But it's <laughs> – not necessarily. Sometimes the, the craziest ideas lead to the best moments. But the trick in the room is to have no line in the room. There is definitely, as you say, a line on the show. But in the room, you must surpass the line every day. Go way past – the right thing to do. And then you can always back off, backtrack, and, mm-hmm. and find that line. But you can't, I guess my philosophy is you can't know where the line is on the page in the script until you've blown way past it in the mm-hmm. room where, where you are safe and where nothing is off the table. And Because, you know, you can't know the geography unless you've, you know, limbed the outer boundaries of the map. You know, if you're Lewis and Clark or whatever, you, you know, how you make the map unless you travel to the places uh, that are on the map in the first place but uh but there have been times uh you know in our boarding where i thought wow we are so far past what we're going to put in this actual episode that we just need to pull it back a little and then we wind up doing stuff i would have never thought we'd we'd do we actually do put things we've got some stuff coming up this season not necessarily the most outrageous stuff we've seen yet on the show, but we got a couple moments where uh, we have we laughed about in the room when someone came up with them almost as a joke, and then we realized, damn it all, but this is this is the way to go with this wow. thing. What started as a joke became, we're actually going to do this. So, uh, you
1: know, it's... Uh, and you've had that experience in past seasons as well? In past seasons as well. Of, uh, well I
0: think I, I can't remember if I gave one on the last podcast, uh, but the one that always springs to mind is um, there might be... Other ones, I'm sure there are other ones as well, but uh, well, the head on the turtle, the head on the turtle, I I felt so. I know this didn't come up. Okay, good. Uh, We have a scene uh, in season three where uh, the cartel sends a message to the DEA out in the Mexican desert. They lop off an associate's head and put it mounted on a desert tortoise. And uh, Hank and some DEA guys and some to find it. And when we came up with that, I thought, man, I love this. This is one of those Kubrickian, <laughs> non-submergible images. Yeah. That uh, now let's go have lunch because I think we've done our work for the day. <laughs> and then, and then one of our writers, uh, George Masters, said, and then the head should blow up. And I said, for God's sake, George, you know, <laughs> come on already, man. We got, You're gilding the lily. Don't put yes. a hat on top of a hat here. We, we already got a head on a tortoise. It doesn't need to blow up. And then I think about it, and we're all looking at each other like, you know what? He's right. How do you come button on. a scene with a head on a tortoise until, unless you blow it up? <laughs> and, you know, but then you do go too far sometimes. Another example would be when Jane... Probably the scariest moment story-wise we had that scared the executives as well, who are normally pretty fearless, but the the moment where we came up with Jane choking to death on her own you know, heroin overdose, on her own vomit, and, and Walt standing by and watching and feeling very bad about it, but, but doing nothing, not saving her. The original idea, I think it was mine, uh, was that he actually gives her a hot dose of heroin and he kills her on purpose. He actively murders her instead of passively hmm. stands by and watches as she dies. And that was one of those moments of going past the line in the room where I was kind of into it, actually. I thought it was going to work, and everyone said, you're going too far. And everyone was right, and yeah. it would have been too far. But uh, And that's also why it's great. It's just so many reasons why I love TV versus – I love movies, too. I love them both. I'd love to go do a movie after this. But TV – has been more satisfying in general for me. I feel so blessed to be in it because I'm surrounded by really smart people who if you let them be honest with you, if you're their boss, but you mm-hmm. you inculcate into them you know, uh, a respect for honesty and a, and a realization you're, they're not going to get yelled at or fired for being honest, then you've got a bunch of really smart people around you who can tell you you know the old thing about enough people tell you you're drunk, you need to sit down. It's it's that kind of a you you want yeah. those people around you can tell you the truth. And I remember at the time they were all like, "Man, that's that's a
1: bridge too far," hmm. you know. But well,
0: what's th- but what's wrong with just having them watch the girl die? You know, yeah. Isn't that enough? And it and it was. It so.
1: absolutely was. I mean, I, I remember that felt like such a turning point for that character. Yeah. That they're absolutely right yeah. for him to have yeah. killed her would have been too far. It would have been too far. That's <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you can never you can never be sure. Yeah. No. Um, that That thing you know which is which is very big of you to uh give your your staff this kind of uh say in in creating the show with you you know it, it is such a collaborative medium that's a difficult thing for a lot of showrunners and show creators to do
0: well i don't Thank you, but I I, uh, I really I, – I am not particularly selfless or, or, or a good person, I don't <laughs> think. I don't think I'm a bad person, but I don't think I'm particularly good. I think I'm just average. <laughs> but I, as far as morality goes or whatever, selflessness goes, such as it exists in the world, if it truly does, I, I think what I'm doing is being very practical and being very uh, pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get – more credit personally for this show than than i am probably do because it is such a collaborative medium uh so i i don't lack for you know i'm sitting here talking to you and and uh i'm flattered to be asked and it's like you know as the as sort of the lead writer in the show but i mean it, it's so if you're being honest you realize it's so collaborative a medium and you've you've hired these really smart men and women and if you don't listen to what they have to say you're 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 a fool. Sure. I mean, it's just uh, why would you not? Why would you not generate as much enthusiasm within them for the work at hand as you possibly can? Because it, it benefits you, the showrunner. You'd be crazy not to. I mean, it's funny though. I, I've I've not been in that many writers' rooms. I've not had that many TV jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got friends uh, who've been on ten times more shows than I have, uh, and I hear stories of other writers' rooms where it's more. Hey, let's fight, mm-hmm. and that's the way they generate ideas. A- in the sense of not not physically, you know, <laughs> rolling out the wrestling mat, but I mean, uh, in the sense of challenging people's ideas. Uh, why do you think that's a good idea? Mm-hmm. You know, and having having them quote unquote rise to the occasion, sink or swim. Maybe that's the way to go in some cases for some shows. Uh, who's to say? You know, different strokes for different folks. Uh, and some damn fine shows uh, derived from rooms that are more combative. But I mm-hmm. personally, the way I see it, have everybody feel enthused, enthused to be there, have them feel like they have a real hand in, in the creation of the show, that they have a real voice in it, that it is, that they are stakeholders, stockholders in the corporation, mm-hmm. if you will, Yeah. and, and let them uh, feel comfortable so that they can say anything and not feel stupid for having said it. To me that's the best way to go. But like I say, different strokes for different folks. Mm-hmm. However, however, however you get however you get the job done. That's mm-hmm. the way to do it.
1: <laughs> well, I think you're still getting that tension, you know, even if you're not fighting each other, you're still getting the tension of different perspectives and that certainly helps drive ideas. Um, I wanted to follow up just on a thing we talked about earlier when you got to that end of season 1 on Breaking Bad mm-hmm. and uh, things were falling apart a little bit. Was it season 2 where I remember watching the DVDs and you had the all the cards up uh breaking down the season was oh, that yeah. the was that the season that was planned within an inch of its life? <laughs> yes,
0: that was that was uh they all feel that way from that point on but yes that was the one where that was the one where we we had the the circular bookend sort of ending. Right.
1: Yeah. And was that a reaction to the way things had gone in season 1?
0: No, I think that was oh gosh what was it i think that was uh i think first of all season one did better for us viewers were more engaged by the show than than i had a right to hope that they would be Mm -hmm. uh people responded to the show people liked it Uh, we started to get acclaim and approval and, and 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 i was i was still of the mindset i can't even believe we we duped this network in the studio and they're letting us <laughs> on the air and suddenly people are are starting to dig what they're seeing so then then it's uh sort of a you know little rascal sort of a hey let's put on a show for the neighborhood sort of mentality let's let's really show them what we got yeah. <laughs> you know and then, and then it's like uh you know so then it was uh we had a little more lead time and we knew we had 13 episodes and we we thought you know and i've always loved nonlinear. i learned that among many other things, in the X Files, I remember Chris Carter, or Frank Spodnitz or John Shiban saying in the writers' room, you know, this 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 story we're telling is getting a little too linear. Hmm. You know, it's a little too A to B to C to D and so on. And let's mix it up. Let's let's cut to some other part of the story. And I, and I held that lesson uh, close over the years, and and we 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 try to do that in Breaking Bad. Uh, I like non-linear storytelling. Uh, I like storytelling, like in Pulp Fiction, the way that mm-hmm. that uh, wonderfully constructed, where you're jumping back and forth through time. And we try to do that uh, on, on uh, Breaking Bad. We we, we we will suddenly have a flashback to uh, a time and a place we haven't seen before, or we'll jump ahead to the future. Uh, and I love that. I don't love it as a gimmick. I don't think of it as a gimmick. I think of it as a as a as a way to 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 tell story that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do it there's no ever we would never do it on our show unless there was a uh, there was a, it was an opportunity to illuminate some aspect of story or character yeah but it's great to be able to do that especially because we will not you know you kind of set your parameters early on and, and we we have self-imposed parameters on the show of no voiceover and I mean, as in, I mean, it's well. I guess you know, one of your parameters should be don't don't have too many parameters, but you know, <laughs> do whatever it takes to tell the story. But I mean, we we don't really rely on uh, on legends or or, para- or or voiceover legends. In case anyone's wondering, like we used to have legends on the X Files were, which was a great thing, and I love the way we did it. But a, a little, a, a, right. uh, the words would come at the bottom of the screen to tell you where you were, which you needed on that show. Sure. Otherwise, you wouldn't know where the hell you were because it it ranged all over the world. But certain things like that, you decide early on whether you're going to do them or not on a TV show. And and we we kept this pretty simple from the get-go. So we're always looking for ways to get inside our characters' heads and Mm -hmm. and illuminate what they're thinking and whatnot. And sometimes bouncing around in time is the best way to do that. Mm -hmm. And season two was was the ultimate example of that cuz the the opening images of season 2 were actually uh, the ending of season 2 and that yeah. circularity uh was brain-crushingly hard to figure out but yeah. but we were satisfied with the end results but we also having done it we don't want to repeat ourselves which is a good reason to not do it again when in fact the real reason is it was too damn hard. I don't yeah. <laughs> ever want to go through that again. So.
1: Well, was it was it restricting too? I mean, you lock yourselves into this story that you have to do in these thirteen yeah. episodes. It, it was restricting, but
0: uh, not not in a way that I disliked. I don't mind a little self imposed restriction. Um, I'm not. I, I like structure, and I like that's why it takes. It often takes longer to break these stories than it does to actually write them. Uh, I like to sit down with a with a, a really uh, detailed outline. Uh, to me, that's freeing as a writer. Uh, I know of writers who, who don't consider it really writing, don't consider it an act of, of pure, unadulterated creativity unless they're sitting down to a blank page and letting their minds wander free and soar high and just you know the story takes me here and it takes me there and then it takes me here and oh it's exciting where will i go next that's great you know it seems to me for bedtime stories and stuff for (laughs) your kids Uh, and 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 there's probably some wonderful novels and 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 movies and stuff written that way but i i I know i don't know how to do that I, i have to have structure i need to know where i'm going to me it's more like you wouldn't set out to build the Empire State Building unless you had a set of very detailed architectural plans and you knew how much how many metric tons of steel to order and all that, you know, and how many cubic yards of concrete and all that. You need to know you need to have the tools at hand, you need to know have the blueprints at hand to really build that amazingly beautiful, hopefully, and, and tall and structurally sound uh skyscraper. Mm-hmm. So that's the way we do it.
1: Yeah, what kind of... I'm curious about that. I was talking to uh, another showrunner recently who was saying her writers maybe break too much in the room, so there's no discovery when it comes time to actually write the script. What do your writers walk away with as far as an outline? How detailed is it, and where do they get the discovery is it all done in the room or do they get to do play it, in the script it's event?
0: insanely detailed it's probably it's probably the the, the person you just mentioned would probably <laughs> would, would would probably feel the same about the way we do it if not be even more aghast it's <laughs> i mean it's right down to you know visual the visuals very important on this show uh yeah. and for instance you know what's the scene about who's saying what in the scene we we'll, we'll try to we'll we'll try to act out the scenes as we come up with them and and then the best dialogue will goes down in the room notes and but often you know when I start to actually put these scenes on cards uh, the first question is always what's the first thing we see hmm. because it's, we're not we're not trying to direct the episode for the director we're not trying to direct it on the page but indeed it's the opposite of the old expression about uh, or the old yeah, not the expression the old philosophy of don't direct it on the page, don't put that stuff down because the directors won't like it and it, you know we we put it all on the page. It's all we try to make it as readable and, and, and easy to scan as possible. We don't hmm. you know, but we have entire we've had three, four, five pages straight of breaking bad script that had not a word of dialogue wow. in it. Honest to God. And we're actually proud at those moments because <laughs> to us the purest visual storytelling is the silent stuff is yeah. the stuff where no one's talking
1: well yeah it's obviously working yeah i mean well, it, it is a show that's told so visually good uh, thank the story you. is told visually so well but
0: but i think that's what <laughs> what your what your friend said is an interesting I, I see where she's coming from in that i don't it's not like i completely disagree but the way i see it is we try to be we get the detail we get it down to the nth detail in the room, in the breaking of the of the story, and then the writer goes off. Uh, he or she writes a script, and like when I go off and write one, everyone in the room knows to a great level of detail what it is I am going to turn in. Mm-hmm. And if I drop dead in my traces, as they say, one of my other writers could could step in and write the thing that I was in the midst of writing because everyone knows the story in great detail. But having said that, I, I still think there is plenty of room for invention. Uh, and also realization of, you know, what doesn't actually work when you get to the writing stage and, and what I hope for my writers is and what they do when they get to those moments of, you know, I just want them to come to me and say, you know, I'm on this scene. Remember the scene? Blah, blah, blah. And I say, oh, yeah. And they say, well, I'm thinking it's not I'm having a hard time with this thing we, we talked about doing in the room. What if we did this instead? Or better yet, when they come to me and say, you know, this scene, I don't think we need it. How about I just not write it? How about we cut it? I like those moments. Yeah, I say, absolutely. yeah, right on. I say, yeah, I'll cut it. It feels good to cut stuff. It feels good to cut stuff before it's shot. After yeah. it's shot, it feels miserable. That's a big difference in geography there. Before it's shot, it feels great to cut stuff, but, but not after. So, uh,
1: I have a couple of questions from Twitter for you. My question is, you know, were you worried, or are you worried about losing the audience on this journey, about losing that identification? Well, that's
0: a great question. I'm always worried about that. I'm always worried. I mean, but I, I it should be stated first off that I worry about everything. Uh, <laughs> it's a worry. I'm going to get killed on the drive to work, you know, or I'm going to hit a pedestrian, or God knows what. I mean, I worry about. Gee, I, now I worry that I said that out loud. Now it'll make it happen. I'm like so neurotic. We'll come even, even we'll for come a writer out. i don't care it <laughs> i don't care but uh one of the many many things that i worry about i have many worries some realistic others not a more realistic fear is that the character of walter white will become so intensely unlikable that people check out and indeed and the audience is not a monolith as we always say mm-hmm. uh, there are people i guarantee uh who have already checked out who have said you know I was kind, of, you know. For instance, there's got to be. There's, it's a big world out there. There's got to be people out there, for instance, who've said, you know, I was kind of into it for a while, but he's such a bastard. Mm-hmm. I, 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 there's there's so many bad people in the world already. I don't want to see a show that celebrates bad people. Of course, that's not in my mind what we do. But but uh, this is a character examination mm-hmm. of a guy that my writers and I loathe most days. I mean, we do not celebrate Walter White. He's a creep at this point. He didn't start off being one, but he is one now, and that was, you know, that's the examination, and that's the intent does it of become, the journey. I,
1: I, do, and I'm sorry for interrupting, no, but does it become an intellectual exercise for you at that point, or are you still emotionally No, so we're still
0: emotionally invested. I mean, he's still, you can, you can, you can, that's, a, that's an interesting way to ask it, and it occurs to me that the answer, as best as I can answer it, is that even if you don't – and this happens in real life too, uh, not just in the writing world, but when you, you can think of people in your life who you don't like and yet who, whom, to whom you are emotionally tied. Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe the best way to look at Walt uh, from that's my point of view. He's, he's a guy who I started off respecting uh, and liking and feeling sorry for and sympathizing with. And uh, at this late date, and and going on into stuff you haven't seen yet, in, in, in season five, he's—I mean, he's—he's he's, not—he's—he's. He's, there are moments when you say to yourself, "This guy's a monster," and—and and yet a human monster. I mean, mm-hmm. he's never going to be anything other than human in my mind and in my writer's minds. But we don't like him so i can't expect the audience to always like him or sympathize with him but that and we're not trying conversely we're not trying to be perverse and and shake loose our 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 viewers but we're trying to you know we said from the get-go we're going to take mr chips here here it comes again mr <laughs> chips and turn him into a scarface and that come good or bad that's damn it that's what we're going to do mm-hmm. and um and I and I and and I think two things hold us in good stead. First of all, we have Brian Cranston playing this part, who is as likable a human being as I've ever met, and he has this ability. And I learned it years ago when he was a guest on the X Files uh, in an episode that I wrote. I learned that this is a guy who somehow magically, through some alchemical, alchemic, some, some alchemy, whatever the hell the adjective <laughs> is, through some alchemy, he does it. I I know not how he does it, mm-hmm. but he can play the nastiest of characters and yet invest them imbue them with some sort of humanity mm-hmm. so that even if you're not actively sympathizing with him you're i don't know on some level you're you i don't know you just kind of get where he's coming from mm-hmm. i don't know how he does it but we got him and that's that's one big uh aid that, that we possess you know and then uh the other thing is that Just as long as Walter White stays interesting, even if you hate him at a certain point, Mm. even if you are not rooting for him, hopefully you'll never hate him. Well, there will be moments that you do. There probably already have been. Mm -hmm. But if you're certainly, even if if as a baseline you're never rooting for him, on a certain level you kind of are in the sense of people respect intelligence, people respect cunning, and this is a guy who has out-thought some really – smart guys some smart villains and a guy who has unpainted himself from so many corners over four seasons that you got to guy you got to give the guy props for that and you <laughs> you got to wonder what he's going to do next so you know the old uh, I think it was the beginning of uh, Frank Camper's autobiography I think it was on the you know the first page before the story began was, was his credo, is there are many sins in filmmaking, but the cardinal sin is dullness. <laughs> and that's – that's yeah. he was right. I mean, just so long as Walt doesn't get boring, I think yeah. we'll be okay. We don't have that much longer to, that we have to be okay. <laughs> we only got 16 more episodes, so we'll – Yeah, you uh, guys hope, are
1: in the home stretch here.
0: When, well, you know, my writers are always saying, oh, man, it's almost over. It's almost over. And in one sense they're correct, but in another sense – you know, it feels like we've been doing this a long time, and sixteen episodes represents more than one third of the of the number we have done previous to this. Yeah. So we still got you know a quarter of the whole deal here to go.
1: Do you feel like you're in the place with the character where you ought to be at this point?
0: Um. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's tricky because on that on that continuum from good guy to bad guy, it helps to know. We, we're lucky now to know we have 16 more, so we know what to shoot for. But in the early going, uh, we didn't know how long we'd have. In the early going, I thought two, three seasons at the at the outside at the most. So how bad do we make him how quickly? And like I said earlier, uh, I was going to throw the kitchen sink at the problem in the early going and just have him be rotten in, in Episode 9. And that would have made for a very short, you know, we would have never gotten to 62 like we're going to mm-hmm. get to now going at that speed so, having said all of that, uh, through uh, luck, through through our best efforts, but through no small amount of luck, including uh, a writer strike, we we are probably more or less at the spot on the continuum that we should be at. Mm-hmm. But I don't take full credit for it. I think there was a, a, a fair amount of good fortune involved. Yeah,
1: there usually is. Yeah, there, there often is. Stuff. I yeah. think people underestimate luck and collaboration, and you know all the things that really go into making a show.
0: It's very true. It's very true. You can't you can, you know and it and it's it doesn't negate your hard work and your, your talent to say, you know, I got really lucky. Because it's it's always going to be a yeah. component. It's always going to be a component in any in a human endeavor, I suppose. Absolutely.
1: Uh here's a, a question from Twitter. Um it's about your hiring your staff. Mm-hmm. Uh what kind of stuff did you look for? What did you read? Um he asked specifically about digital media and, you know, everybody has shorts and sketches and things now. But sure. did you look at that stuff? Did you read specs? Did you read be things beyond uh, scripts? I'm, I'd be willing to look at anything,
0: including certainly a short film or video or, or something that someone had created. I'd find that very interesting. In in the particular case of my six writers, uh, I don't think I saw any anything other than written material. Uh, but if they had had other stuff just to, to show, I most certainly would have would have appreciated it and enjoyed looking at it. But I wouldn't probably have started with that stuff. Mm-hmm. If when you're hiring, when I'm hiring writers, I need to know that they can write more than I need to know that they can do stand-up comedy or or create a short film or do amazing visual effects on their laptop computer for a short <laughs> film. All that stuff's great, but I mean the fundamental thing I'm I was looking for was can they put it on the page. And to that end, uh, I know the philosophy back when I was in the X-Files, I think it's changing now, and I think it should change. But I remember the philosophy back in the day was go out and write a bunch of spec scripts for the various shows that you like. Right. And back in the day in the X-Files, we were seeing a lot of NYPD blues, and we were seeing a lot of ERs, and we were seeing, and of course, other people at the time were writing X-Files. Yes. And, and the, the other prevailing philosophy was don't send the spec of the show to the show itself. hmm Because that's because the showrunner will be so up his own butt at that point that that he any slight detail you get wrong that you couldn't possibly have known about that they were going to do you know they'll hold that against you and blah blah blah. But I had one of my writers break that rule and get a job because of it. I had a writer named uh, one of my writers Moira Wally Beckett. Uh, wrote a Breaking Bad spec really? and it got her, and it was it was an episode in which there was nothing in the episode we were ever remotely going to mm-hmm. do but it was, she put it on the page really well wow. and uh, we, we never shot it or anything, we never right. used a bit of it I don't think, but it got her the job She
1: clearly she, understood the show it's She got really interesting.
0: she got the show pretty damn well uh, so that goes against the prevailing philosophy. <laughs> the, the philosophy I think that seems to be coming to the forefront now, which I uh, embrace wholeheartedly, is write your own write your own new thing, write your own, create your own new spec, create your own pilot. Uh, best case scenario, although it's a long shot is someone will actually want to make it. Uh, worst case, well, worst case scenario is nobody will be (laughs) interested, but the second best case is that, uh, someone reads it and says, Hey, I like this, the cut of this writer's jib. I like the way they put it on the paper. I want to give them a job. I'd much rather read something original than read a spec of, uh, of Game of Thrones or, or Boardwalk Empire or Good Wife or, you know. I love those shows, but I, I'm not interested in reading somebody's spec of those or or, or Breaking Bad even. Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, – Moira Wally Beckett kind of slipped through the transom on that <laughs> one, but that's not something I would ever be looking for. I'd be looking for new mm-hmm. uh, original stories, and that's indeed what most of the folks that I hired had to show me. Uh, original uh, movie scripts. Because it doesn't matter to me whether it's a movie script or a one-hour yeah. TV pie, because it's the same – same. Uh,
1: you put it on the page right. the same way. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Are you, were you looking for something tonally similar, or is good writing good writing?
0: I think good writing is good writing. I wasn't necessarily looking for tonally similar. I was looking for structurally similar. I don't know if that's even the right way to put it, but let me try to explain. I I want to see a visual sense for this show when I'm looking to staff this show, and, and uh, fortunately, I feel I feel fortunately for me we haven't been looking to fill any holes in our staff for quite a long time. We've had an amazing uh consistency of staff more so than any job I've yeah. ever been on in the past we've you know had writers two two writers who've been here since day one uh, the others have been here for years now too but I was looking when I was looking I was looking for uh an understanding and a desire to put the visual on the page I'm not for instance, let me give you the flip side of that. Uh, back when we were being given a lot of submissions from from agents and whatnot all over town, we, I was getting a lot of stage plays hmm. and playwrights. Uh, sort of a few years ago, and maybe it's still going on now. That was the hot thing. Hey, this hot new playwright from New York is, uh, you know, wants to come out and and, and uh, work in television or whatever. And you know, so here's a stage, Here's his stage play. Here's her stage play. It could be the greatest play in the world, but it, you might as well—you might as well be showing me, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what. You might as well be showing me uh, limericks, or, 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 sure, uh, so or, or it's just well, it's not. It, it's just—it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. If I'm in the market, if I want, if I go to the fruit stand and I want a banana, and you say, "Here's the best tangerine <laughs> ever grown," what the <laughs> hell do I care? It's a tangerine. It's not a stage play. Is not uh, a screenplay. It's two different mm-hmm. things. It doesn't mean. I, I'm not saying that 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 uh, a great writer can't write both. I, I'm saying I cannot. I don't have the tools to judge. Hmm. My show is not about pithy dialogue. It's not about telling a story through words. It's about telling a story through images. When we're doing it right, it's about the moments uh, when someone shares a look, uh, and you know in that look that someone is not long for this world or whatever. You know, it's about those kind of moments. It's not about stage play format where it's, you know, Bill and Ted and Bob enter the room and then like sixteen pages of, right. of very witty, witty pithy dialogue. You know, because in real life also people don't people are they stammer and they and they don't say what they mean. They say the opposite of what they mean. And it doesn't doesn't mean that there's not that kind of wonderful dialogue. I, I love my God, I love Glengarry Glenn Ross, for instance. Uh I've seen the play on Broadway and I've seen the movie version probably twenty eight times. <laughs> and I love I love great dialogue. I love it. I love it. But that's not what I was looking for here. Mm-hmm. So so stage plays were a big thing that was being sent. I do have two playwrights on my staff, Moira and uh, Sam Catlin, uh, and I read their plays as well. But I only got to the point of reading their plays after I had read uh, uh, their movie scripts and their television uh, pilots and whatnot and found them visually representative and 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 interesting and well written. And at that point to round it out, I read some of their plays. Mm-hmm. But uh and I thought this is great, this is two for one. This is mm-hmm. a great screenwriter who's also a great playwright. But yeah. the plays did not get
1: them the job. Sure. So yeah, that makes sense. And yeah. do you think this is you know how you'll approach the next project you take on as far as, you know, this this is the language you use yeah. uh in creating what you creating the stories that you create. If the next project is is intelligent, television. In television, yeah. Uh yeah, I
0: I love visual storytelling. It's only one, and by the way, this is only one way of doing it. Uh, shows shows that are about right about good dialogue. God bless them; they're wonderful. Uh, you know, uh, the honeymooners, for instance. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's other examples, but I mean, when you have such strictures and limitations physically and and financially on your, this is why television historically is a sort of a stage play format. You watch All in the Family. I'd I defy you to find better dialogue than, than mm-hmm. some of the great moments of All in the Family. And it was all on one living room set. Yeah. The Honeymooners, I love the Honeymooners. That was the most pathetic little set. It was all painted cardboard. <laughs> yeah. You know, Ralph bumps into the wall and the whole place shakes. <laughs> But it was great. And I can watch those episodes over and over and over again. And that was all dialogue-based storytelling, uh, <laughs> storytelling through through the words coming out of people's mouths. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love All in the Family. I love Honeymooners. I love so many uh, early shows like that. But it seems to me we're at a point financially and, and you know, the cameras are smaller now than they were back then. Uh, we're not tied to sound stages like we used to be. There's, there's financially creative ways to get the camera out into the real world. And so I love creating, not necessarily watching, but I love when I get to create something, what I'm into is creating little movies on TV. And movies in the sense of, you know, I, I like those <clears throat> those four or five minutes that go by where nobody speaks a word. Mm-hmm. And but you're riveted, hopefully, and you're and you're like, man, what's I so much is happening here and yet nobody's talking. Mm-hmm. I that's the kind of stuff I'm into. So yeah, short answer. <laughs> probably if i do something else in tv it'll it'll hopefully it'll feel very different than breaking bad but in that structural sense it'll hue closer to a, a visual storytelling sense than a mm-hmm. and you know i say that we also strive when we have dialogue scenes we of course strive to put the best dialogue we can sure. on the page of course we wanted we want to we wanna we, we want to hit it from every every uh angle but uh
1: I don't know. Well, I think you are. And along those lines, here's a question from uh, Bill Lawrence who created Scrum Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. Huger great guy. writer. Yeah. He says, does wow. Vince get embarrassed by how effing great that show is? Oh, man. <laughs> does he know it's uncool for it to be that good? <laughs> <laughs> and he ends with Gus <laughs> blood. God bless him. <laughs> so That's uh, awesome. from Bill Lawrence. <laughs> That's very flattering. You know,
0: uh, I believe uh, the pilot to Scrubs was directed by. Uh, I hope I'm, I don't think I'm getting this wrong. By Adam Bernstein, who is our one of our two absolute go to directors. Oh, really? this is an amazing guy, Adam Bernstein. He <clears throat> uh, uh, he directed uh, the first two episodes after the pilot mm-hmm. of Breaking Bad. This is a guy who refuses to allow himself to be pigeonholed. He he <laughs> he directs half hour comedies, great ones like Scrubs. And thirty rock and shows like that. And then he'll do one hour dramas. He's done Homicide. He's done Oz. Wow. He's done Breaking Bad. It's we live we work in a business where they love to pigeonhole you and they yeah. love to say, Well, you're you're a half hour guy, so you do half hour or you're an hour guy, so don't ever think of trying to do a sitcom, you know. You know, as writers, as directors, as actors even. Yeah. Uh but um I'm amazed by a talent like like Adam Bernstein, who who, who straddles all those worlds uh, seemingly effortlessly. I don't know how he does it. Great director. He's a he's. A, I'm glad to have because uh, definitely Mr. Lawrence worked with him first. I'm glad to have uh, <laughs> had had the the use of Adam.
1: Well, you you've had a lot of great directors. I mean, your your whole team, everyone involved with the show, seems. To be so invested and gets this level of detail, which clearly starts with the script... Uh, as you've said, but everyone seems invested in getting it really right. Uh, my friend Ryan Johnson directed
0: Oh, episode, yeah. And oh, God, right. Ryan. Ryan
1: said getting that script was so exciting because... Oh, man.
0: Let me tell you about Ryan. There's so much detail there. I remember watching uh, years ago when I was in high school, I remember watching an episode of Columbo. And I love Columbo, but I, I was just flipping around. This was back when I only had four TV channels mm-hmm. before cable. <laughs> I'm flipping around, and, and there comes a Columbo. And I don't even know what it is yet because the title sequence hadn't started. And there's... There's a car, there's an old Saab driving through a parking deck and sort of winding its way through this parking deck. And something about the images and the way they were framed, where the camera was placed and the way it was cut together, even me at 16 years old, 15 years old, I somehow instantly knew something special was going on. I didn't even know what I was watching yet. It turned out to be an episode of Columbo, (laughs) and it was a great episode. But something about the way it was put on film... Did not make me think of television. It made me think of something else. Interesting. So I sat there, 15 years old, watching the credits, and lo and behold, it was Steven Spielberg directing this thing. And the point of this story, there is a point, and the point is that when Levinson and Link, the two producers of Columbo, the two excellent producers, great, made that great show, worked with this young guy named Steven Spielberg. It seems to me they must have thought to themselves, Jesus, I'm onto something special. We're onto something special here. I think Ryan Johnson's that kind of guy. I think, I feel about Ryan Johnson when he directed an episode for us. I feel like Levinson and Link must have felt when they had Spielberg directing Colombo for them. That guy is going places. He Absolutely. is a brilliant director. And I've seen his new movie, Looper. Uh, I was fortunate enough to see an early screening. It's really cool it's great it's going to be big I think <laughs> if there's any justice it's going to be big absolutely he's, he's a hell of a good writer and director uh, and and we, we're, we're fortunate on our show uh, to your central question the look of the show is so important to us that I think uh, you know we, we we directors understand that and they understand they can come up with the, their best stuff and, and, and we love it we love energy we love enthusiasm we love we love uh you know uh we Sorry, love we up. love the visual <laughs> we love the visual and of course uh, yeah. directors good directors love the visual too and they yeah. and when we say to them we want your best stuff and we don't want it to look like tv uh and that and that that means two things uh, in essence that means we want interesting uh, composition and we want interesting editing mm-hmm. as in you know if you have an interesting composition we may hold on it we had an episode last season where we We actually held on a wide shot where there's some really intense dialogue going on. Walt was on his knees uh, about to be executed in the desert by Gus Fring, except that he's not. He's really just being warned, you know, don't say a word or else we're going to kill your whole family. We held on a wide shot because the sun, because we watched in, in the dailies, we saw that the wide shot actually encompassed, it was like five or six minutes long, and it encompassed a cloud passing over the sun and then going away all in one Uninterrupted take. We couldn't hold on it for six minutes, but we using some digital magic. We we had our we had it stabilized, and we had we had uh, it it interrupted in the middle. We cut about two minutes out of the middle of it. We held on this thing for over two minutes, I think. Wow. And I just love that kind of shit. Yeah. I just that's not what TV <laughs> historically does, and that's why I want to do it. Mm-hmm. TVs are bigger now than they've ever been in history. <laughs> they are huge. You know they've got these OLEDs coming out that are paper thin and and weigh forty pounds, and they they take up an entire wall of your house. This the, it's amazing. I don't know. I I feel I feel sorry for theater owners, you know. But it's like (laughs) these things are so huge that why wouldn't you change up the way you compose for television? Television historically, even in the X Files. We had the best directors in the business on that show, but that show got a little claustrophobic at times. You'd be cutting into Scully's mm-hmm. and Mulder's forehead even when they were talking about going to get coffee. Mm-hmm. On our show, we save those close-ups for you know when it's life or death. Sure. And the rest of the time, we want to hang back like John Ford did or the way uh, Coppola did in The Godfather. Or the way uh, Sergio Leone – well, Sergio Leone, I love the way he popped wide and then he popped yeah. super tight, so we steal from him too. <laughs> or Kurosawa, the way he would have so much – he was confident enough to have so many of these wonderful moments played very wide in tableau, mm-hmm. and yet you see what's on everybody's faces, the acting's so good, the directing's so good, you don't need to pop in, you don't need to you know jam in for the close-up and – so we're we're composing with westerns in mind and Kurosawa really in mind and and uh, and and our directors don't get to do that typically and and uh, they they seem to enjoy it so mm-hmm. well
1: it's interesting too I mean it's you bring up the X Files and we're almost done <laughs> um, it, it was on at such an interesting time when that language of television was changing yeah you know there there's so much of that show that does feel like a movie it feels feel, yeah. filmic. Um, but anyway, know it, 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 it's, tr- well. it's true.
0: <laughs> you know, it's true. And uh, I love to. Any chance I get, I love to talk about the X Files. The look of that show, the lighting of that show, yeah. uh, first and foremost, was was very bold and innovative. And we we borrow some of that light. I mean, Michael Slovis, our wonderful director of photography, he's his own man, and he. We're so lucky to have him. He's he is. You either get it seems to me, with a director of photography, you either get. Well hopefully you get one of these two things, but usually I only get one. You either get really good or really fast. And you're hoping you're hoping like hell to get one of those two things. Michael Slovis amazingly, there's there's gotta be I don't know who else in the business can do it like he does, but he is really good and really fast. Because, you know, we want the really good lighting, but we also want to make our days and shoot all the ambitious things we have planned, and you can't do that unless your D P is really fast. So we're so lucky to have him, but he he goes for that dark lighting, and he goes for that how do you say it in Italian? Chiaroscuro? Chi, yeah. I never know how to pronounce that. But you know, the 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 uh, all in one composition, the the extreme hot highlights, and then the dark mm-hmm. darks. Yeah. Yet yeah, you can always sense something in the shadows. There they don't go completely black, but the blacks are nice and rich, and the highlights blow out in just the right little bits and places and spots and. And it, to me, that's a continuation of the great work uh, John Bartley and uh, uh, Joel Ransom and uh, 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 Bill Rowe were doing on uh, The X Files. Hmm. Uh, that was a very ballsy show, lighting wise. Yeah. And. Uh, because at the time, I mean, you know, I'm sure Chris Carter and those guys get yelled at in the early going saying, this is too damn dark to put on TV. People would be turning up the gain on their, <laughs> you know, the contra, or the, the, you yeah. know, the luminance or whatever on their TV sets. People are like, this is too damn dark. But he just said, well, this is the way it is. Interesting. And uh, and we, we go that way, too. We've yeah. been told in the early going, we had a few notes, Jesus, it's dark.
1: I like, well... <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, get used to it. <laughs> yeah, trust me, it'll work. Uh, just one last question before we wrap up. You know, you're. We said you're in the home stretch now. Although that's 16 episodes, yeah. and I'm sure you'll be directing at least one or two of them. And
0: I hope so. I hope I'll have the energy. I want to direct the last two. Oh, good. Yeah, good.
1: Uh, have you thought about what's next? Have you had time to think about what comes next? Uh,
0: I, I, I am such the opposite of a. J.J. J. Abrams type. I'm very impressed. By, i never met him, but I'm very impressed by him. He's He is such a multitasker. I wish I were a multitasker. I have not thought that much mm-hmm. about the future. Although I have this pet idea I'd love to uh, – I haven't really thought that deeply about it, but I'd love to do a – it would be fun to have a Saul Goodman spinoff, like a half-hour <laughs> Saul Goodman show of of oh, a guy who's uh, like a single camera, but <laughs> but some, something where basically – I guess it could be an hour, but something where Saul Goodman is uh, – because we love the character and we love Bob Odenkirk, really. and it could be a lot funnier than it could be out <laughs> and out funny. But I love the idea of a of a lawyer who is uh, is so allergic to courtrooms that the. You know, the, it's a law show that never ever sets foot in a courtroom. You know, they'll Brilliant. settle on the courthouse steps or whatever. Like he'll do anything to stay out yeah. because the judges all know his his uh, his tricks. So it's like you know, something like that. I keep That's thinking. Great. Listen, but,
1: you know, Bob's game to do it as a web series. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bob is a great guy. I Bob's feel so lucky. Guy. I feel so lucky to work with all my actors. But Bob Odenkirk, just as an example, you know, all those years he and David Cross did uh, Mister Show. God, what a great show! Mm. And back when I was watching that on HBO and thinking. Not thinking at the time, man, someday I'm going to work with this guy on a regular basis. If I would known that back then, it's, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed it. So yeah. yeah. i lucky to have him.
1: Well, good. Yeah, I mean, as we said, every collaborator you seem to have on this show is is fantastic and invested, and you're really getting the best out of them. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm
0: very lucky. Very yeah. lucky to have the folks I have. Uh,
1: and and in no small part, I'm sure it's because, you know, you inspire that, that kind of work. Yeah. Well, I... Well, I I hope so. I don't know how to answer that except to say I hope so.
0: I think uh, it's just I feel like um, we won the lottery with this. I don't know quite. It's one of those things, you you know, we whipped up a bunch of ingredients in the kitchen and somehow it came out really tasty. And I fear that if I try to do that again, I'll come up with some... (laughs) Something less than t- you know, you just you know, you know, I, I hope this is not the highlight of my whole life. <laughs> Although if it is, I was lucky to have it.
1: Sure. No. Sure. Well we expect even even great things from the end of it and then the next thing too. Right. Thanks for taking the time to chat. This Thanks, was really man.
0: fun. Appreciate this, man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Cool.
1: Now leaving nerdist.com. <laughs>